0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Kevin Kaufman, your host of the Kevin and Fred Next Level Podcast, the podcast where we bring you weekly business tips and tricks, as well as in-depth interviews with leading minds in real estate and entrepreneurship to help you take your business to the next level. Hey, Next Level Agent Podcast listeners, this is your host, Kevin Kaufman, and we are bringing you a very special episode this week. My good friend and mentor Ben Kenny joins us. This is actually a conversation that him and I had at NLA Live 2019 in Las Vegas, Nevada. He was one of our featured speakers. And uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this Because we got the chance to just chat So we took the recording And decided to release that as an episode today Speaking of Next Level Agents Take a look at our new website NextLevelAgents.com That's NextLevelAgents.com You'll find all the info in there On our online Facebook mastermind As well as the information for NLA Live 2020 Which will be in April In the Phoenix, Arizona Scottsdale, Arizona area We'd love to have you there Again, that's NextLevelAgents.com and enjoy today's episode with the one and only Ben Kenny. How's it going, dude?
1: Kevin said, Can we have an intimate conversation? So I grabbed one of those intimacy kits from my hotel room and yeah, that is brought not it what backstage. Meant, by the way. And I got nowhere.
0: <laughs> so I'm going to call Aaron and Jeline and uh, they're going to have a talk with you next week. So, um, but. Ben, first of all, thanks a lot for being here, dude. Super appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Um, Cody said that by using my name, they sold a couple extra tickets. But he said, by by throwing your weight around, we sold a couple extra tickets. And I thought, well, finally, a freaking use for my weight. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: That's a good one.
1: Yeah. Um, So thanks, Cody, for that comment.
0: So uh, what I thought would be cool, you and I were talking on the phone about this a, a few times now over the last few months, was what if we just literally had a chat, kind of interview style, learn a little bit from you. I've learned so much from you over the years, and it's usually just hearing you. It's like one-liners and stories and lessons you've learned along the way, so I thought it'd be cool if we kind of did that. So, Sounds perfect. You guys okay with that today? If not, you got to go. Um, so let's just Early start, lunch. start in the beginning. Um, I want to know, where, like, what was the start for real estate? Like, what, what made you decide to get into real estate? Let's go there, and um, I'm going to take the conversation a few ways after that.
1: Don't you hate kind of telling a story where you feel like half the audience probably already knows it, so you're, you just feel a little awkward, Like, but uh, I was a cable guy, I was fixing a lady's cable, she um, had just bought this place, and I asked her um, uh, why, she, why she bought a condo, and uh, she said it's not a condo, it's a duplex, and, and I was 20-something years old, and, and uh, I'd grown up in a trailer and a cabin, and, and my parents never owned real estate. So I didn't know what a duplex was. So I said, well, wh- why didn't you just buy a house? And she said, well, the, the other side of the duplex, they pay 100% of my mortgage. And I'm not just a super bright kid. So it took me a second as I'm scratching my head. And I kind of I thought for a second, this chick lives for free. Like, <laughs> that, that was my aha. I'm like, she, she owns real estate and somebody else pays for it. That is like the greatest thing that I have ever heard of. And, and I walked out of there and, and I drove up to some crappy mortgage company. It was like GMAC or s- s- something horrible like that. And, and, and the guy's like, You need $11,500. Right? So I'm a cable guy, so I have to, it takes me a little, I gotta save up some money. And then, and then I, I call a real estate agent and, and uh, he, he, he sucked too. And the reason was that I said, Hey, here's what I wanna do. I met this lady, you know, she lives for free, I want the free deal, I wanna buy a duplex. And he started showing me houses and condos. And I'm walking to the condo. I said, can we see the other side? He's like, no, it's just this side. He didn't understand. I wanted the free deal. And the the reason was there was just nothing on the market. So I went to the Whatcom County Assessors page, and I started looking up duplexes. I'd drive around and say, hey, I like that one. I write the address down, and and I go look it up. And And I noticed something. Every once in a while, I'd find somebody where the mail forwarding address for taxes was out of state. I thought these people don't live here they don't know what's going on in this market so I found one I reached out to him and said hey I want to um, I want to buy your duplex will you sell it he's like yeah actually we moved away and, and we don't we we're tired of managing it and, and uh, we're our one of our tenants just gave notice so yeah we'd, we'd sell it So I said, great I'll call you back with my agent so I hang up the phone. I call my agent, shitty agent, and I said, "Hey, shitty agent, uh, I want to make an offer on this on this duplex." And he's and I, and I said, "I found the guy. Here's his address. Here's the property I want to buy. I want to offer 227 because I was only approved 230." Uh, uh, <laughs> so I thought I'd give myself some negotiation a fudge room, some room, negotiation room. And uh, he said, "No, it's, it's it's not worth my time. It's 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 too low of an offer." Uh, that's what I said. That's why she's called shitty agent. And uh, so the only other agent I knew, her name was Catherine. And uh, she was married to a guy that I worked with at the cable company. And I called Catherine. I said, Catherine, I want to buy this duplex. Here's the guy's name. Here's the address of the property. Here's his phone number. I already talked to him. He says he wants to sell. Here's the price that I want to offer. She's right. She writes it up just like that. She sends it to him. They accept it. No questions asked. I buy a duplex. I put my eleven thousand five hundred down. My mortgage payment's twelve hundred and ten dollars. The renters next door pay twelve hundred bucks. So I didn't get the free deal, but I got the ten dollar a month deal. <laughs> Which was Kevin? It was it was perfectly fine because there was three college girls in the other unit, which I would have paid ten bucks that you know any month for for to have three college girls next door. That was
0: awesome. You would have spent more in that in beer and stuff. So (laughs) might as well. Right.
1: It was amazing. So anyway, that long story short, that uh, the agent that helped me, Catherine, uh, she had just read Gary Keller's Millionaire Real Estate Agent book, and uh, she gave it to me. And I don't know why she didn't give me the Lowe's gift card or that bucket of crap that we agents give everybody. But she said, no, you should read this book. And I hadn't really read a book before. I, wasn't, I was pretty dyslexic as a kid and, and uh, hadn't read a whole lot. And, um, but I read it, and it, what I realized was that I could own a business. And I'd been laid off two times by the cable company already, and I, I'd laid off my crew a couple times, and, and my, they just laid my boss off that had been there since 1966. And uh, I just said, like, these big companies don't care about anybody. How could I buy a house or a boat or do these things not knowing if I was going to have a job next year? So, so I, I, I quit, and I got my real estate license. And uh, it was all because of Catherine and, and her taking the time to just give me a book.
0: You know what I'm curious about is if she ever gave anybody else books.
1: Well, there's only two people in, in her... We're in a profit-sharing company. There's only two people in her profit share, me and one other person. So no. It turned out to be pretty good on, on, on that yeah. one person.
0: Right, but yeah,
1: I don't think so. I I don't know why she did it, but it it was a blessing to me, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm curious if she just saw something. Um, I mean, the fact that you went out first of all, like you were lead generating. I mean, going and looking to see who are the out of state owners. You're doing things for yourself as a bu- advocating for yourself as a buyer that a lot of agents don't do for their own clients when it's when inventory is tight. And so I don't know. I'm wondering if she just noticed that, or if it's just pure fluke or what. By that time in my
1: cable career I was working with a guy, he's actually out, outside at the Privity Booth, his name's Tim. He worked him and I worked together for 20 years. And uh, him and I were selling cable TV door to door and phone service and, and internet. And the in the in the phone service we were selling was 25 cents cheaper at Comcast than it was at Quest. And, and we'd go knock doors all day and sell telephone service to people. And when we did it, we'd get 25 bucks or 50 bucks. And we sold more than 20 in a month. We'd get a $500 kicker. And you get 25, you got a $1,000 kicker. It was pretty easy for me to realize that if I knocked doors and sold cable, I got 25 bucks. But if I knocked doors and sold real estate, I'd get 10,000. That was pretty simple math for me, right? And maybe she just saw that if you could sell crappy cable to people, like you, you could probably sell some real estate, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, I think what I'm hearing, and I've obviously I've, I've heard you speak and had a lot of conversations with you over the years, but um, it, even though that company, like, you don't talk about the cable company fondly, but it sounds to me like it prepared you a lot for business, even though it was your job and you were laid off a couple times. Um, did, at the time, were you, did you take it that way? Did you see it as like a, I'll use the word internship, or did it just so happen that you reflected back over the years and realized that you learned a lot there?
1: You know, growing up, Growing up poor, uh, I always thought I was going to be a school teacher, and when I was going to college, I, my, one of my first jobs was, was selling furniture, and the school teachers were coming in there to get pre-approved for furniture, and I was working part-time at the furniture store and going to community college, and I was making more than the school teachers, which is a, a crime in itself, um, times 10, it's something we should all change in our society. But I realized that I did not want to be poor. So I started chasing money. And, and the first job was a cable installer, and that paid more money than the furniture thing. And then there was cable sales, and that paid more money than that. And and I chased money because I did not want to be in poverty. I didn't want to be hungry. I didn't want my kids to be hungry. I didn't want to not have a house. Like um, I have a different perspective on money because I grew up without it. So I chased, I chased money. And the lesson that I got from Comcast was that... Uh, I probably cold called 250,000 people and door knocked 40,000 doors. I've got FU'd and screamed at and naked people at the door and I knocked over somebody's bong and I got chased by a dog and I, I, I've been in houses where you wipe your feet before you leave the home. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I've seen some weird stuff and because of that, I have zero problem with no. I'm not super social. But I have no problem going out and doing my job and getting a no. And I'm willing to get 50, 100, or 200 no's every day if that leads to the one yes that I need. I don't let that no stop me from from being happy or being successful.
0: Do you think that's because of the practice with the knocking the 40,000 doors, making the, the cold calls, or are you just okay with no?
1: No, I think, I think the first door I knocked on, I was, I was shaken. And the first person I called, I was shaken. And... Even the first listing presentation, I was shaking so hard, I was going like this. And the first time I stood up at a real estate meeting and said, hey, my name's Ben, I was shaken and scared. Like, most people, unless you're superhuman, were scared. But the next time, it's not quite as scary. And the next time, the next time, the next time, I just forced myself to work through it. I've always hated things that hold me back. Like, if, if you were to come talk to me about something, I'd probably just shake my head and pretend like I understood. Then afterwards, I'd go research it all night because I hate not knowing something. I was at this restaurant once in Seattle, and, and the person ended up knowing my father. who was a fly fish. My dad was a fly fishing guide, and he brings out this bottle of wine, and, and he gives it to the table, and um, I'm I'm with this girl, and he said, "Well, what type of wine would you want?" I said, "I don't know." I he didn't know I wasn't 21, but I'm thinking, "Well, he's bringing wine, like we should make this happen," and uh, I didn't know anything about wine, and I said, "Just just hand me one of your favorites." And I never wanted to be in a position where I didn't know about wine because I felt like an idiot. So that weekend, I didn't have any really that money. So I went to Barnes and Noble's and I read two or three wine books sitting in their comfy chairs because you could just read in there all day and then put them back and you didn't have to buy them. (laughs) And then Amazon started. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So for a lot of my career, it's it's been stuff like that. In the beginning of my real estate business, I didn't have a sphere. I got an uncle who was in prison for hijacking a school bus, and my mom was on drugs and dad lived in a cabin and I had one sister. So I didn't have like friends and family and people. I was young, all my friends were buying dirt bikes, not houses, right? So I didn't have the Brian Buffini box. I couldn't take his stickers and send them to people, you know? And um, I didn't have any money to do the marketing. And so I'd do things like I'd wait for a brand new listing to come on the market that was vacant. and I'd just go park in front of it on day one. And I'd wait for people to drive by and then I'd get out pretending like I was gonna go preview it and invite them in. Were you, I, my name's Ben, I'm an agent. I was just going to go preview this house. I saw you slowing down. You want to see the inside with me? They'd walk in with me and I'd talk to them, and I'd walk back out and say, Yeah, I'll see you the next next time. Call me if you need something, and then leave. And I'd sit back in my, in my car and wait for the next person to drive by. Because I realized no, nobody ever came into my office looking for me. And I said, I could just park outside a house and wait for somebody to come there. I didn't have any listings, so I couldn't do my own open, so I made that my open.
0: Any restraining orders from that?
1: No. No, you know, back, that was in, that was in, um, 2004, 2005, the agents were so busy back then, they weren't even returning sign calls. They were lazy, right? I just took advantage of lazy agents and put myself on the path of opportunity. And over time, that didn't work. So I'd start calling canceled expires and FISBOs and, and door knocking and doing other stuff to come up with, with enough business to take care of my um, financial needs. Uh, and I just put myself in the path of opportunity,
0: that's awesome. One of the things I appreciate about you is you, you are always looking for opportunity, and it's not necessarily for you. If it's for you, it's so you can make sure others have it. And uh, that's something I appreciate about you. You said something recently that I'd never heard you say before, and I've spent more time around you than most people should. Um, and that is... Uh, Fred has some pictures that yeah. we don't want them to see. Yeah, absolutely ever. Uh, <laughs> you said something there's a difference between poor and broke. And you're okay with being poor but not broke. Well, tell me, go deeper on that if you would for yeah, me. So,
1: I, it's my own philosophy. Like, you couldn't look this up in a book, it's just my own bullshit. I was born poor. I was born needing the food bank. I, I was born in poverty and, and alcohol and drugs. We had a marijuana plant in our living room that we had Christmas decorations hanging on. Like, <laughs> like uh, that's poor. And as a child, you can't change it. I couldn't do anything to change the financial situation of our family, right? Uh, but I've also been broke, and broke is, is something you do to yourself. By, by 2008, I was broke. I had, I had lines of credit, and, I, and I, was, I was building my budgets and doing my legion and paying my bills with pendings instead of listings. And then, then August of 2008 happens, and I had 500000 in commission coming in, and half of it went away that day. And then by September, the other half went away and by, by October, November, I had zero pendings, but I had marketing and websites and team members and staff. And I had an unprofitable business and I caused myself to be broke. And because of that, I started missing mortgage payments. I had to pay Jolene, or I had to pay my mortgage payment. I chose to pay Jolene. I started missing credit card payments, right? Immediately they start, they remove my line of credit. They, they reduce your credit cards. They do all these things and then you're screwed. So at that point, I had a shitload of ice cream. I call this Body by haagen <laughs> And then I decided, well, what am I going to do about it? I, I, had, I had something that I could, I, I had a check I could cash, and it was listings. I was good at getting listings, and I had listing inventory. Problems that weren't selling. So somebody said, there's a price that your home will sell for today. And my goal was to go find it. And I went out and I took 10% of my listed volume and price reductions every week until as many of my listings as possible were selling. First week, I got 400,000 in price reductions. That might have been 50,000 here, 1,000 there, 25,000 there, 100. 000, it did not matter. My goal, was because I had 43 million in listed inventory, so then I just got 400,000. Next week, 375. Next week, 450. Next week, 300. Next week, 400. And I just kept reducing the price. And then by January of that year, in 2009, I had the busiest month of my career. And I had cut all my expenses, and I realized at that moment that all the stuff that I was doing fell into three categories. One, it was for my ego. I put my picture on a phone book, and I put a magnet on a phone book, and I did a whole bunch of stuff to make me feel good, my ego. The next one was for my seller's ego. I did a bunch of marketing to make my sellers feel good, even though nobody ever called me from it print magazine, you know, the, the stuff you read, right, John, at the, at, at the teriyaki restaurant, you know, you're open up all those magazines and stuff, I, I, you know, I was doing all that stuff. And then the last bucket was things that actually made the phone ring, generated a lead or helped me with the closing or helped my clients get their, get their home sold. And I put everything into three buckets and I got rid of the other two buckets, got rid of the ego stuff. I got rid of the ego stuff for my sellers and I had to come up with scripts around that. Here's the script. If you took the, if took, you ever been to the teriyaki restaurant and you get the real estate book and Harmon Homes, you take all those magazines, you take the newspaper, and you got the Alaska magazine, right? And you're flying, we're flying. And you take all those things, you stack them up to the roof. That resulted in less than two percent of the sales last year. Unfortunately, real estate agents spent eighty percent of their marketing on something that resulted in 8, in two percent of the sales. Isn't that stupid? Extremely. And as soon as I said that, they never asked me about print advertising anymore because they didn't want to be stupid. <laughs> And it solved the problem. I didn't have to do things like that anymore. I had to explain to them where homes actually sold. They sell from other agents. They sell from marketing online. They sell from signs and flyers. And they sell from open houses. Right? And they sell from my database of people. And they sell from people you already know. That's 98% of all sales. Let's focus all of our time and money and efforts in defining the
0: 98% of buyers, not the 2%. That's pretty smart, man. Well, when you're broke, you figure it out. Right? <laughs> It's true. That, uh, what's that? The say in the uh, necessity or mother invention. Yeah, I totally uh, screwed that one up. But um, need is the mother of invention or whatever. At any rate, good job. Um, way, to, way, to, way to do that. That was, that was arguably that, the
1: worst quote I've ever yeah. heard. Yeah,
0: I'm going to find that later and I'll post that in the Facebook group the correct way. And I'll give credit to whoever actually said that. I feel like there's a baby crying because of that quote right now. <laughs> <laughs> so if something else happened, though, at that time uh, that I've heard you talk about was, this is January nine. I, I guess I didn't realize that they were the same month until now. But you had said you started tracking your net worth because you realized you, like, you were, you were yeah, broke.
1: Yeah, so when you don't have any money, you start paying attention to a little bit more. And so I adopted – this idea that I was going to track my net worth every month and I, and I put it in a spreadsheet. I put all my assets, I own a bunch of real estate, which, which I got like zero down loans and, you know, like no income qualified loans, you know, um, and I had credit card debt and I had a line of credit and and I had some little bit of cash and my baseball card collection and my taxidermy and fine firearms. And I, and I just took all the stuff that I own and I put it in the spreadsheet and I started tracking my net worth and, I remember specifically walking by this guy and, and, and he, was, he was begging one of those you know, cardboard signs and you know, homeless needs food or whatever and you look down and he's got like a couple of dollars and some coins there. And I'm like, this dude is like $500,000, $2.74 $2. richer than me. Because he was. 2008, I was 500000 net worth, right? But by tracking it every month, I got to see how my actions impacted my life right every month you'd see your mortgage went down your credit card went down and your cash went up and your expenses went down and you just started coming up and you got to see the change and if I would have just done it once I would have been depressed if I did it once I did it every month I started seeing the change and I started getting happy And when it got to zero I felt pretty good that means if I died today I'm not going to screw my family over right? We're going to sell everything. We're going to be okay. Like they're not, I'm not screwing anybody at this moment. Right. And then as it started getting bigger, I realized that that net worth is how I protect my family, my friends and my employees. And it's my job as a business owner to make sure that I have
0: the wherewithal to take care of the people that agreed to get on my bus. Agreed. I think that's great. I mean, just for a second, like think about the impact of you were, how happy you were when you got to zero. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like think about that like you got to zero and that was that probably was a giant relief and I'm assuming kind of a moment in time where you look back and said all right going forward
1: you, you just build this you get to that point I remember I, just, I was sitting there and I was like I fucked up <laughs> <laughs> because my real estate wasn't worth anything and I had big mortgages and I took lines of credit to pay for my crappy phone book marketing and you know I just I, I was just gambling and I realized that it was my fault and in that moment I created my broke problem. Nobody else. It wasn't the market or the economy. It was the fact that I wasn't running a business. In order to have a business, a business needs to make a profit. If your business has no profit, it has no value because businesses are sold on multiples of, uh, of revenue or multiples of, uh, of income, right? And um, my business had no value. It was zero.
0: You also said, said, said something else in there. Um, you paid Jeline instead of the mortgage payment or probably other bills too, I'm guessing. What? Why? Like, What was it that you said? Was it just a commitment to her like, as a person, to the, business, to the business that you really didn't have at that point, the future? Like, What was it that made you go, I'm going to pay her, I'm not going to pay this bank?
1: I grew up uh, when my, my mom cheated on my dad and left my dad when I was two. My dad took me and my mom took my sister. I think because neither one of them wanted to pay child support. And I don't know which one got the worst deal. Like We were poor and, and no power and so on, and my sister was in more drugs and alcohol and shitty trailer and abuse and that kind of stuff. I don't know which one got the worst deal. But my dad took us into the Baptist church, and I learned to pray. And I remember growing up praying every night for two things. One, for my parents to stop drinking, smoking, and doing drugs. Verbatim from my prayer. Two, to help my family with their financial problems. Because every night I would hear them fight. My mom would throw stuff at my stepdad. My dad would complain about it. They never had money, and they always fought about it, and they fought about it so loud that I heard it, and I'd cry myself to sleep wondering what I could do. There was even a point that um, I stole a bunch of candy from the uh, store and I started selling it at school, and I was taking the money and giving it back to my dad and not really, he figured it out. (laughs) I got my butt whooped. But um, I was stealing Zots, selling them, and the teacher found I had like a hundred bucks in my desk at like third grade. So I was a hustler back then, I guess. And, and I, I, had to work it off and I ended up hiring the store owner's daughter and paying her really well. And I, i I'm, I should be Catholic. I'm freaking guilty as I have a guilty conscience. So, um, yeah,
0: I don't know where the hell I was going. Sorry. That's all right. Um, that was good. So, okay. All right. So some of that was just more like, that was for me. I wanted to hear that, um, from you, and, and I'm sure someone else in the room got something from the, those stories, but you and I were also talking about some strategic real estate stuff, because let's face it, this is a real estate conference, and we're here to learn to be better business people, be better at sales in real estate, be better in service in real estate, and you were sharing with me like a couple of different models that have helped your business. We were sp- specifically talking about lead gen. Um, and I would love if you would share some of that with us, but before we do, would you kind of give us the overview of like what does Ben Kinney's team look like today? Because I know when I first met you in, in early 09, um, you know it was Bellingham, and I think you might have had one person in Seattle or something, but it's vastly different today. So would you give us like a quick overview of Ben Kinney's team sure. and then uh, dive into some more uh, tangible things? We, we started selling
1: real estate in Washington State, in Bellingham. Bellingham was bordered by the Canadian border, the Pacific Ocean, and the Cascade Mountains. So there was a very small amount of area we could sell unless we moved south down this freeway called I-5, which goes from Mexico to Canada, basically. So at a certain point, I realized that my team had a limited amount of transactions it would do, and my team would only drive about 45 minutes. After that, they would not work the leads that hard. They wouldn't follow up with them. They wouldn't call them. They'd choose people closer. So I knew I had a problem because I could generate leads in that other area. So I put a team in the next uh, market center away, which was Everett, Washington. And they would work a 45-minute radius, and that happened again. I put some people in Seattle. Notice it's a 45 minutes, not 45 miles, because 45 minutes in Bellingham is 50 or 60 miles. 45 minutes in Seattle is 10 miles. Is it even that many? Yeah, Depend on the time of day, yeah. right? So it's a driving radius. How long are your agents willing to spend getting to show a home or go to a listing appointment? It's about 45 minutes. So I did expansion before anybody knew what it was called, and it was just because there wasn't enough business in my town. So we just started doing that. And we learned uh, over a long period of time. It took me 11 or 12 years to figure out how to run a team in three locations, all of which I could drive to. I didn't go to a whole bunch of places. I first tried to figure that out. Once I figured that out and I got to a profit margin that I was happy with, which we always try to maintain between 30 and 35% profit margin uh, in Washington state, we figured we'd try it again. So then we went to Austin, we tried it there. We did that for a whole year. And then that turned it, that worked out. So then we did it in a couple more cities, tried that. And then we did it in a couple more. So we're kind of iteratively figuring it out. So we're in about 20 locations. as Shep Black said, we, we did marry some teams, so we brought some successful teams into our organization, but a lot of them have doubled or tripled in production and profit and size since they joined us, and that's what we focus on. We talk about profit, uh, not anything else. I don't care about units or volume, or we talk about profit, and we, we, we measure the profit margin in each one of our locations. So our lowest team last year did 19% profit. Our highest team last year did 34% profit. Funny enough, our highest profit team was also our highest producing team, which was not Bellingham, Seattle, or Everett. Is that That's the first of,
0: time that happened?
1: Yeah. And the reason is because we put a lot of burden on Bellingham, Everett, and Seattle to accommodate the yeah. expansion. So they end up taking the burden financially as part of the reason. But also prove that our model works in another, in another
0: city, in another market. So does that mean you have a model? Like you've got a certain way you want to do things. Obviously, in Bellingham, is that what you took to these other cities?
1: Yeah, so we... Uh, I'm sure I stole it from somebody, but I, I tell my people all the time that we tend to complicate things to justify our inaction. Big spreadsheets, big org charts, big technology initiatives, all that kind of stuff. And because we have all these complications, we, uh, we don't take any action because we don't know where to start. So I knew the best thing for me to do was to actually simplify everything, simplify something down to the model. Funny enough, uh, Kevin, the first one was the 10 days of pain. I would, I would get all these leads, and then the agents would not convert the leads, and then I would get pissed. I said, you got to follow up with the leads. A- and then I'd tell them that, and they would do that, but I, c- I couldn't track it. And then I said, nope, I'm going to write a plan. So I wrote day one, call them three times. Send them an email afterwards, tell them that you called them. Text them, tell them that you emailed them called them. The next day, send a different email. And then I wrote the email, and I wrote the script, and I did all that kind of stuff. And then uh, day three, text them. Look them up on social media. Day four, do this thing. And it was actually just random ideas that I came up with. But then I started giving it out to people, and people that were not on our team, and they started coming back and say, hey, our business is skyrocketing. All of a sudden now we're converting leads that we didn't. And it, it just turned out that, that the agents needed a plan or a recipe to follow. It wasn't even what I wrote was right, is that they did something. It's like diets. Like All diets work if you follow it, right? Yeah. So I had to come up with the diet plan. For our team, and now I think about it more as a CrossFit. Like most brokerages provide a gym experience. You go in there, there's lots of equipment. You look around, there's Lululemon everywhere, and you're distracted, and you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know which okay. way to sit on this machine, and then you walk out.
0: Are You wearing a Lululemon right now? I got
1: Lulus on, okay. I thought just so. on the on the under, on, underneath. And uh, but a CrossFit gym, you walk in there, and it says do 13 pull-ups if you could do. 44 push-ups, right? Do, 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 we're trying to look like Cody, basically. So, so you come up with this whole plan, and then you walk in there, and when you're done with it, you get to go, hey, I frickin' won the day. What I realize is our real estate agents don't know how to win the day because they go in and they don't have a CrossFit workout to do. So we need to come up with a CrossFit plan for agents. We're going to call Five Sphere. We're going we're gonna to do this and do this. So I came up with ours for our team, and it's simple. Everybody works their sphere, and there's a five-step plan they do for their sphere. Everybody that does two open houses a week, everybody calls 150 people a day. And that's what you do to be successful. And if you do that, you're going to do one to two transactions a month. And if you do that, I'll give you a couple uh, leads and leads from our listings and Internet leads and all that kind of stuff. And then you'll get another one to two deals. And as long as you do one to two deals per month, you get to do on our team what we call stay.
0: That, that is innovative yeah. right
1: there. Yeah, we, we, we really dumb things down.
0: Like their Ben Kenny email address still works if yeah, they do yeah, that. Okay. Yeah,
1: okay. And uh, sometimes people take it really literally. Well, I have this agent and, and they're not doing the 150 dials, and I'll say, well, how's their business? Well, they got 10 pending. Who cares? <laughs> like the, the goal is to get them into production. And if somebody says, I don't want to call people, I say, great, do, do, uh, do five open houses a week. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, okay, but what else are you going to do? Like, we don't have a position where you just sit there, right? It, I don't have one of those. That's,
0: you get elected for that. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> let's not go there. It's not, especially with your Facebook post from 2012 resurfacing. Right. Let's yeah. not go there. Um, God, you so so we call that our lead gen yeah. model, and
1: it's in the shape of a pie chart, and it's what they got to do. And then if they do that, they get access to our business, which is the leads. And it's really simple, and it works in every single market from Napa to Atlanta to Boise to Seattle to Vancouver, Washington to Anchorage to
0: Florida. It just works. Simple. Does it work because it's simple? Yeah. I thought so. I mean, something.
1: <laughs> it puts them in the path of, of opportunity. Yeah. Our, our number one brand new agent last year did 79 transactions her first year in the business. She did it because she did 26 open houses in December in frickin' Seattle. Seattle December sucks, but she did 26 open houses. By February, she had 17 pending or closed. She just said, nobody was coming to the office, I'm going to do 26 open houses. And she didn't have that many listings in that area to do them at because she was actually in Olympia. So she borrowed other people's listings. 26 in December. Started off, ended up the year, number one uh, individual agent on our team, 79 transactions. It's a pretty good start. It removes all the excuses. Right. Somebody now comes on the team and say, what do you want to do? Well, do the Gale plan. Well, what's that? Do 25 open houses this month. <laughs> well, I can't. Well, why can't you? I'm too busy. Looks like it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? No, that's, that's fact. You just said something. So, so that lead gen model is what gets them into production, right, and allows them to, as you call it, stay yeah. on the team. And you said something about opportunity We
1: we have what's called an opportunity model, and and we designed it because I got tired of, of agents coming to me and saying, will you change our split? And I don't negotiate our split. I don't change our split. It's what it is. Because my goal is not for them to make more money and me to make less money. My goal is for us both to make more money. So I came up with what we call our opportunity model, which is one to two deals. You get to stay. You do three to four deals. We'll help you hire a showing agent. Now, if you think about it, the showing agent comes out of their pay, so 15% goes to the showing agent, 35% goes to the main agent. But when you, when you add up the hours in a buyer transaction, it ends up being two or three hours for the buyer's agent and 10 to 12 for the showing agent. They may make 15% less, but they're only doing two hours of work.
0: And our goal is to increase the agent's dollar per hour. All right, so is this, like, is this on paper? Like, how do you describe this? So talk to me like I'm an agent. I'm doing... Yeah one to two or maybe now three to four because I think a lot of us as, as team owners, we've had that conversation and then what we hear is, well, hold on a second, I'm only gonna get 35%.
1: So you do one to two deals, you get to stay. You do three to four, you get to hire a show and agent. You do five to six, I will pay for one half of an admin. You do eight, you can add one more leverage. So another show an agent or I'll pay for another half of an admin or an ISA or something like that. And if you get to 10 per month on average in a calendar year, so they're going to hit probably 100 deals or something like that, you get the opportunity to be a partner, an expansion partner. We can invest in real estate together. We can invest in another business. They have the opportunity to say, I'm an equal owner with Ben and something, whatever that might be. Vast majority of the population always stops there. Then you get this group of people that get to this area and they're happy and they make a lot of money and we help them with their wealth. And then every once in a while you get somebody down in this bucket, which is good because you can't wake up every day and realize that every single person is now your partner and you have to go find an opportunity for them. So when somebody comes in and says, I need more opportunity, say, great, where are you at on this right here? Well, I'm about right here. Great. This is your next opportunity. I want a different split. I don't offer you a different split, but I'll give you more of your time back and help you double your business. Because if you get a showing agent, you should easily be able to double your production. Most agents, when they, when they do 30 to 40 deals in a year and they add a showing agent, Then they then go to 50 to 60. You add an admin to that and they can market their database and get more referrals, all of a sudden they go to the next level. right? So it's helping them walk through this understanding. I don't know if that was exactly your question or not. but
0: Yeah, no, that's it. So we we're also talking about, um, I think, first of all, just being able to have that when they come in, whether it's day zero or they've been there for three years. Just knowing that there's something like that there allows them to see there's constantly a next step if they want to take that road.
1: If you ever wanna do a a deal, you wanna recruit somebody, you wanna get somebody hired on your team, there's three things you do. First thing, you understand their goals. And if you talk more in the first 45 minutes to an hour, you are not doing this the right way. You might spend the entire time just asking them about themselves. What'd you do before? What do you do now? What are your finances like? How much debt do you have? What's your relationship like? Who, who's important to you in your life? What's your health like? What do you care about? What do you want to do? For, blah, 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 right? Then you try to tell, tie the goal to your value. And once you understand their goals, you say, not your goals, my team's going to do, do 100 sales. That's about you. It needs to be a, about them. Your goal is to make 100,000. Great. Let me show you how my model will help you make $100,000 a year faster than anywhere else. Now, by the way, if you're able to accomplish that, I'm assuming that you wouldn't just be happy, you would wanna do something additional in the future, right? Yep. Let's talk to you a little bit about the opportunities that we have. And then I go into the opportunity model that I just showed and show them the path to be a partner with us. So goal, value, opportunity. That's how you recruit or hire anybody, and a lot of times we screw that up because we spend all our time talking about how great we are and what we want to accomplish and what the team's goals are and what we've done and who we are and blah, blah, blah. You should spend 90% of the time talking about them.
0: Agreed. Um, they get to the partner stat, status or placeholder, whatever you call it. Um, is it really, is it just like, hey, this is what I'm interested in. I want an expansion location or maybe I want a building or, or whatever, or is it I mean, how, how much I guess is is Ben saying, "Okay, well, this is maybe we should be doing this," versus it's them going, "You know, I really want to be able to I want to open a coffee shop or I want to open a a Ben Kenny location." What's that look like? Is it individualized?
1: So you should be working on it when they're doing six to eight and starting coming up with a plan. And what you are going to realize at some point: some people are great producers, but they're bad leaders. And you may not be able to solve that in the immediate, so your path may not be making them a leader. It may be investing in real estate with them or allowing them to invest in some of your other ventures. It's helping them accomplish their lifetime goals, right? Some of them might be great leaders, and you're coaching and mentoring them into taking over a team or or moving into a leadership position. What people need to have is they need to have a vision of where they're going. And when they look out there and they have no idea what's in front of them, that's when they get bored, and that's when they get disenchanted, and that's when they just start looking around and leaving, leaving
0: your world. Fact. Um, that's great. So you mentioned, so some people, you go, hey, you are fit for leadership. Is there a certain type of leader that you want to be in business with that, or that you want to put into a, a leadership position inside of your company?
1: Doing a do another drawing? Would you? So you'll notice that almost everything in my business I can explain with a single piece of paper. And all my peers, like coding and everybody, they always make fun because they're always like in the shape of a, p- a cheeseburger or, or a or a piece of pie or a, or a hamburger or something pizza. Yeah, yeah. That that person made a really good point. If you take a pie chart and you add a triangle to it, it's actually an ice cream cone.
0: <laughs> that was profound. That's pretty deep. And that's it? profound. Yes.
1: Here's what I think about leadership. Leadership is a journey that always starts at the bottom. And, and the height of our leadership will be determined by the, the width and, and thickness of our base, right? Just like a house, right? The first step in leadership is, is how do we lead ourselves? What are we doing to be a person that other people would want to follow? Are we financially? Are we faith? Are we relationship? Are we, are, are you know... Uh, Are we motivational? Can we educate people? What is our value, right? But first thing is, how do we do that for ourselves? Once we lead ourselves, we will get the opportunity to lead others. And you'll know the, the success of a leader based on how many people are following that person. And you double test it by checking how long have those people been following them. You see people have big organizations all the time, but every time you see the people, they're all new, right? They're not really leading people. They're just recruiting them and bringing them in because the next step of leadership is growing leaders. You'll know that somebody is, has a big business and a successful business and they're a great leader because they look up and they say, I remember Kevin when he started, he was, he was just an ISA and then he became a buyer's agent then he became a listing agent and now he's running a whole team and he's an equal partner with Ben. And somebody looks around and say, I want, I want that. I want to move from here here to there. And they start looking at your organization because they can see a track record of you turning people into successful people. And then the top of the leadership triangle is what we all want but we don't always get is, is the A, we want to be able to attract leaders. But you can't attract leaders if you aren't leading yourself, if you aren't leading other people, and if you haven't shown those great leaders that, that you've grown other people to be successful. Everybody wants to go, I need to go, I need to go hire the, uh, what do they call it, Cody, the empire builder. I'm gonna go find an empire builder. But that, if you really find a real empire builder, they're gonna look around and say, well, what empires have you built? Why would I get off my empire and get on your little outhouse? <laughs> right? But if you can say, I built this empire and I've done this and I've helped these people become successful and these people have built wealth and so on, all of a sudden people start raising your hand and the type of people that are joining our real estate team today, are doing 40 to 80 million a year. Whereas five or six years ago, we were just blessed enough to start start getting people that were doing 24, 36 units a year that were joining our team, not just brand new people, right? Yeah. It, but it changes over time because they saw that the person that did 300,000 in commission now did 2 million. So the person that's been at 1 million for a while, they look up and say, if they can take that person from 300 to 2 million, In the same period that I've been stuck at $1 they could help me go to here. And you start getting these leaders that come in. That makes sense. It does. In in leadership, we just have have three duties. And really quick, there's the three duties of a leader to make sure if you guys want to know are you being a good leader or not. Number one, uh, are you setting the standards? Is it clear what an agent has to do or an admin has to do to be successful in their 20%? You don't give them a gigantic list of all the things they gotta do and they'd be disappointed because they dropped the the most important thing. You come up with a list of the 20 most important things for that position, put them in order from one to 20 and then cross out five and below. Number two, you have to inspect what you expect. You have to hold accountable your people on a regular basis. In the beginning, that's every day. And then it becomes every couple days, then it becomes every week, and then it becomes every month, and it becomes where you don't have to. And the last thing is you have to train, coach, and mentor those people to be successful in their role. And if you haven't done these three things, and that person's failing, it's actually your fault, it's not theirs. That's why I hate it when people take hiring classes, and they go back and they fire everybody, because they realize they don't have talent. It's not that they don't have talent, it's that they didn't do their fiduciary duties as a leader. They were not doing these three things. You can take anybody in that organization, they're all gonna fail. That's why you see this constant churn of people because they aren't stopping and saying, what is my duty as a leader to help people be successful in their role or in their company?
0: So, you just changed the next question I was gonna ask. At training, number three, I think it's hard. Um, and I think uh, I see a lot of agents struggle with it. I talk to a lot of agents. Um, they are able to recruit and they're they're unable to train, whether it's because of time constraints or because they're not even sure what they should train on because they're not sure what's made them successful to the point where they needed to hire somebody. So how does somebody learn to train or what are resources people use to train somebody? Not everybody thinks like, hey, I should probably write down everything I do and have a manual created, even though it's in the book. Every problem that we have Kevin, whether it's training or
1: anything, can be put into one of these four four boxes. Number one, you don't care. It just doesn't matter enough to you. Number two, you don't have time. You physically, physically, there's no more time in your world to do, do something about it. Number three, you don't have a model, a system, a person, a plan to solve that problem. And uh, lastly, you don't even know what's going on. You're actually oblivious to, to the issues. So when somebody says, hey, I, here's my issue is that I, I'm not good at training people. I would go back and say, let me ask you a question. Is it that you really don't care if they're successful? Well, yeah, I do care. Well, are you spending time doing it? No? Then how could you tell me that you really care? Is it that you don't have time? Or are you choosing to do one thing over the other? Could you actually make time for 15 minutes a day to train your agents? Because they'd be way better off if you just spent 15. Do you have 15 minutes a day? I do. All right. So maybe you don't know what to train them with or how to train them or what to start with. So then you go find that. Or maybe you're just completely confused and you need a consultant, a coach, or somebody to help you figure it out, right? Up here... These are harder to solve. Down here we can. But up here, they're also not solvable. If you actually don't care about whatever that problem is in your life, you're not going to do anything about it. But if it ends up in one of these boxes, that's solvable. Like, hey, just record yourself doing the listing presentation. Never have to train somebody again. Just watch the video. Record yourself explaining a contract. Write your scripts out. Come up with the buyer's guide. Come up with the seller's guide. Like, once you create those materials, you never have to do it again if you can make a little bit of time to come up with that thing. And the big problem that people end up with is they don't know what to start with. Well, I'd probably start with open houses, prospecting, or sphere, because you know that agents can get business from it. Or you could say the wrong thing and call enough people, and you'll still get a deal. You can do enough open houses and suck at it that eventually you're going to get a deal. Right? You're going to call enough of your friends and family in Sphere that eventually somebody's going to say, uh, fine, you can help me buy or sell, <laughs> right? But as you refine that, they'll become more successful. Most likely, these agents that are successful in their business, they actually know exactly what to do. They just either don't care or they aren't
0: spending the time to do it. I love how simple you've got everything down. Like, you've got these models. You mentioned they were simple. Most of them look like food, which is great, Um but more importantly, they're simple. And I've heard people say, like, if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough. Um,
1: it's hard to give it to your next person who happens to be in the next state or four states over and have them duplicate what you do if it's a big dialogue. Like, I don't believe that we should teach people a listing presentation script. I believe we should teach people one line. and That one line should be tied to that one page, right? I don't think we need to teach people how to walk through an entire open house and do the whole open house script. I think we just need to teach people to say, people come to my open houses for one of two reasons. One, they're, they're a neighbor and they're curious what their home is worth because they're thinking about selling. Or two, they're thinking about buying. Which one are you? I don't think we need to come up with a whole bunch of, oh, by the way, cheesy shit from, from the buy referral guy. I think we need to give our agents one thing that they would feel decent and sincere about calling their friends and family and say, hey, do you have any real estate-related plans for the year? Like, we don't need 100 scripts, we need five. And we need our agents to use them. You, we walked around the mall today or, or the um, casino, and we just said, hey, what are your real security related plans for you? We'd find somebody.
0: It's pretty crazy when you think about how simple that is. Um, and if you do, just ask enough people. Even if you suck at it, you're bound to find one.
1: That's why this is so powerful, because a single piece of paper and a Sharpie doesn't allow you to write in fine print. You can't put it in a spreadsheet. You, you don't have to go make this gigantic model you actually just have to make it fit on a single piece of paper with a Sharpie. And if it can't, it's too complicated. Nobody's going to do it.
0: That's impressive, man. Um, all right. A couple other things. I, I've been dying to ask you this. because um, it has been a while since we've talked about this, but I'm going to totally shift gears here. You've got not just real estate businesses, and it's obvious you've got investments going on, but... You've got your hands in technology now. In fact, you've, in fact, I would say you've got your whole body into technology at this point. No. Um, what, what the hell possessed you to decide to start a technology company? It's
1: probably the worst decision of my life. <laughs> I've never paid myself a dollar. I put three million dollars into our tech companies last year, above and beyond what uh, I made, uh, what I made in revenue from it. Uh, it's been the hardest thing I've ever done. But I made a promise to a whole bunch of people that said, I'm gonna make sure that you and your families have an opportunity. And so I decided that I was gonna build technology that would give the agents 50 to 75% of their time back so that if commissions get cut in half, they can do double or triple the amount of transactions. My whole vision for everything, like we just bought our second AI company, our whole vision for everything we do at Brevity, is to give agents their time back so the agent can stay re- uh,
0: relevant in the transaction. Like how, do you, like, how do you do that? How do you either create tools or find the tools, find the companies that you buy that are actually going to help an agent stay relevant?
1: Well, I think there's a future version and there's a present version. So let me give you a simple present version. Open houses. We created an open house tool in our technology where you take any property in the MLS, you go to your website URL, and you put forward slash open, open house, and it creates an open house sign-in page. It's simple. It's easy. But when they register, when a consumer registers on your tablet or your computer, when they go in there, it automatically gets added to your CRM. It gets tagged with the source of open house, it gets tagged with the address. A listing alert automatically gets applied to that person, plus or minus 20% of the listing. And then an auto plan gets started that you design that sends a text, an email, schedules a task for a call for whatever period of time going forward. So every open house visitor gets followed up with the same exact way. Every open house visitor goes into your CRM and it doesn't sound like a lot, but it saved three minutes. And if you could save three minutes across 10 open house visitors, that's 30 minutes. If you did that once a week, what would 30 minutes once a week do to your life? Like I was able to hire somebody to put gas in my car and it sounds dumb, but she puts gas in my car, she puts $300 cash in my in my inside, thing and she puts gum, water and protein bars because it took 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, a couple times a week to do those sort of things and at the end of the year it saved me 40 hours. I can do a lot of damage with 40 extra hours, either either hunting or, or, or working, <laughs> right? Doing something better.
0: Or a different type of hunting.
1: So how do you save, how do you save a few seconds off every single thing? In fact, you, you and Fred showed us uh, what you guys had built in the past in your transaction plans. So we just went and built that. So when a transaction's applied, we can automatically, because when you set the transaction, say this is the lender, this is the title, this is the buyer, this is the inspector, appraiser, whatever, text automatically go out to all those people. Emails automatically go out to all those people. It's tasks are scheduled for all those people. So you don't have to manually apply that. All you do is, hey, I got a new listing. You apply the plan. You say who the listing agent is and, and, and who this is, the transaction coordinator, who the sellers are, and all the communication is done. It literally allowed us to cut fifty percent of our virtual assistants, and virtual assistants were already cheap, right? They were affordable, but we were able to get rid of half of them because we didn't need it because technology solved that. So, what can you guys do? Not, and it's not even a pitch for our software, but what can you guys do to automate your business to get your time back, so that you can use that time doing something
0: more important? So, is that like for the every? Is that like for the for the big teams for? The solo agent, like who signs up for that type of stuff or who can even benefit from that type of stuff?
1: We had a, we had a, I had a couple of challenges in our business when, when we did it. One, I was paying 10 different people. Every time I went into a market, I had to pay $1,500 a month for a website or a tool. I had to sign up for 10 different things and my agents had to log into five different places. So we, we built technology that's, that starts at $100 or $200 a month and goes up to uh, 1000 for 25 agents on a team. It's very affordable. It's meant for agents to grow into a bigger business. Like you don't want to go start with Playster and then grow up into Market Leader and then all of a sudden now you can finally afford the next Real Geeks thing. So then you go get this other crappy tool and then you move into this next thing, right? You want to grow in the same exact technology because there's a lot of time
0: and energy spent and wasted in changing systems. Got it. That makes sense. Dude, where can we find out where you're speaking next or training one of the things I love is, I, I'm going to plug this for you to tell you I would, um, but you just recently did an event called Win Make Give that is about the things that you care about um, and giving back. And where, if someone hasn't had experience with Ben, would like to go learn more from you, uh, where could we do that?
1: Uh, we don't do very many events. It's on a website, Ben Kenny Training. Every dollar goes to charity. I don't teach for money. It was over a million dollars last year we were able to give back to charity mostly to helping homelessness and hunger in our community. Uh, And I do one every couple months and we do win, make, give once a year. And this year we're able to buy new freezers for the food bank because their freezers broke and they couldn't keep meat long enough for people and uh, solve a couple other big problems in our community. And um, I don't wanna, there's some good good teachers like Cody's a good speaker. uh, And the speakers you had this morning, they're good speakers. I'm not a good speaker. I have good models and systems just like those guys do but I don't want to do that for
0: for a living. I want to sell real estate, build technology. So I only do it a couple times a year. That's awesome, dude. And most importantly, Ben, I just want to say thanks a ton for for joining us at Next Level Agents Live, and I appreciate you a ton, dude. Thanks. Thanks for having me.